Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Today, I am going to turn to Psalm chapter 24. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Psalm chapter 24. We're only going to begin with one verse of Scripture today. And I know you're thinking, well, that is weird. Well, I've been on sabbatical, and um, so I'm just going to come back with one verse. I'm going to ease in. I'm playing. When you're in Psalm 24, let's stand to our feet. Um, We're actually going to Psalm 27, not Psalm 24. Although Psalm 24 is good. There's really no part of it that's bad. Psalm 24 is one of my favorites, but we don't have time. We're going to Psalm 27, verse 4. Are you there? You ready to read it out loud all together as a family? Verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I love that David starts and finishes with asking. One thing have I asked is the first line. The last line is, and to inquire in his temple. I want you to give yourself permission today to get a little selfish, to get a little hungry with the Lord and ask God for the same thing that King David is asking God for in this passage of Scripture, which is to see God. Anybody else in the room, you want to see God? Let's read this one more time before we sit down. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Today, the title of the message is Dwelling in an Atmosphere of Encounter. Dwelling in an Atmosphere of Encounter. Just put your hand on your neighbor's shoulder real quick. We'll pray a long prayer. Say, get them, God. All right, you can be seated. Amen. <laughs> Get them real good today, God. Don't leave them the same. Not today, Lord. Dwelling in an atmosphere of encounter. How many of you have had an encounter with the Lord before? You can testify and you can say, I've had an encounter with the Lord. If you are a Christian in here, I'm sure that you can testify today, I have had an encounter with the Lord. My goal in this message is to give you some instructions as to how to live a lifestyle of encounter. I'm talking about a life of continual and consistent, undeniable, life-transforming encounters with the person of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about just having an encounter once upon a time at a conference somewhere. I'm talking about living a life where you can journal on the daily and say, I met with God today, and you're able to pin that often. 
That's my goal for you. I don't want you to look at yesteryear and say, my best encounters, the most significant encounters that I've ever had with God, they happened a long time ago. No, no, no. I don't want you to think like that. I want you to look ahead and say, the best encounters that I'm going to have with God are in my future. Whatever awesome thing God has done in your past, I want you to know that he has plans to outdo himself. Your Bible teaches us that we go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. There's an evolution of the glory in your life. Did you know that? I remember one time I was in a meeting. I was so stirred up. I was so hungry. I said, Lord, I was praying a scary prayer. Lord, I want to see the glory like Moses saw the glory. You know what I mean? You ever prayed a prayer like that before? And God responded to me so quickly, he said, no, you don't. I'm like, what do you mean, God? Moses saw you face to face. What do you mean I don't want to see the glory like Moses saw the glory? He said, no, no, no. There's an evolution of the glory. We go from glory to glory to glory to glory. If I showed you the same glory that was reserved for Moses, you would not be satisfied with it. Because you live under a new covenant that is a superior covenant and the glory that I have reserved for new covenant born again believers is greater than the glory of the former house the latter shall be greater somebody help me preach this than the former so whatever God has done formerly in your life I want you to turn up your expectations today for what he will do in the latter parts of your life because there's never a time in the scripture where God promises you that your best days are in your past I'm so sorry to break it to you buddy but this is as good as it's gonna get Soak up the memory of that revival you attended in 1992 because it's all down here from here, champ. I've never heard that from the Lord, have you? No, so I want to entice you today. I want to, I mean, I want to provoke you with some, some measure of like holy jealousy to say, no, no, encounters are my lifestyle. They're not just events. They're actually the way that I live. We're going to take a page out of King David's poetry today, and we're going to look at how to live a lifestyle of encounter. And to be honest with you, this is the thing that I have been more obsessed with than anything else in my faith journey. I know some people, they're preoccupied by a number of things in regards to Christianity, uh, leadership, ministry, theology, history, etc., etc., but I can honestly say, hand on heart, the thing that I have been most preoccupied by as a Christian is the idea that I could see God. Now, I'm not talking about like conceptually, like I met with God. You had a coffee, you journaled, you took a picture of it, you put a filter on it. You posted it to Instagram. (laughs) That might be true, but there has always been something in me that has wanted to see God the same way I see you. 
Like, I've been like, God, I want you to step out of eternity into time. I want to see you, like, for real, for real. I want to touch you. I want to hear your words. I want to grab hold of you. I want to wrestle with you if that's what you want to do. I want to know you. I don't want to know a religious version of you. I want to know you for me. I remember my pastor used to say, truth is what God says. Religion is what man says God says. And I don't want to know God on a second-hand basis. I don't want to just know God by way of other people's testimonies. I want to have my own testimony. There's also another psalm. I'm going to get back to uh, Psalm 24 and 27, but we're going to go to another one for a minute. There's another psalm that says, Moses knew the ways of God while Israel knew the acts of God. Now, here's what I find to be very interesting about that difference. Whenever times got tough and the nation got overwhelmed and confused... Moses did not turn away from God, but he ascended the mountain of God and talked to God face to face in his presence. But in that same season, Israel turned away from God and crafted an image of a golden calf and began to worship that calf and engage in the sinful act of idolatry. You see, by knowing the ways of God, which are only revealed in the glory of God, remember Exodus 33, whenever Moses said, I want to see the glory, and then God responded and said, I'm going to show you my ways. What else did he say? I'm going to reveal to you my name. How do you get to know God on a first-name basis, in the glory, in the presence, in prayer, in worship, through encounters? Not second-hand stories. I'm talking about an eyewitness testimony. I saw God for myself. Here's what he said to me. So Israel turned around when times got tough, and then Moses turned up the expectation that God was going to show up when times got tough. You cannot tell me that you do not know people that have witnessed supernatural miracles in white hot revival services that when times got tough, they turned from God. Why is that? Because they did not know the ways of God. They knew the acts of God. I can't just say, well, I know what God does. I know what God has said. No, we must be able to say, I know what God is saying. I know what God is doing because he told me so himself today in a place of communion. I can hear God for myself. You cannot outsource your responsibility to hear from God to your pastors. Well, you know what? Pastor, why don't you go to God? And then on Sunday, I'll meet you at church. And then you come down from the mountain, proverbially. And you tell us what he said. Is that not the exact same narrative from Israel's history, whenever they sent Moses, a man, and they said, you ascend the hill of the Lord, and you talk to God, and then you come back and tell us what he said, because we'll do whatever he told you to do. What's interesting is that they couldn't even live up to that commitment, because they did not have the capacity to do so, because they'd not received the grace to obey directly from an encounter with God for themselves. They were full of it. Which is exactly how we get whenever we behave in the same way. 
Pastor, you go talk to God, and I'll show up at church on Sunday, and when you come down off the mountain of prayer, you tell us what God said, and then we'll do it. Well, that's never actually happened in the history of Scripture. You know what's more likely to happen? For us to engage idolatry. Because in the meantime, I'm talking about Thursday morning. You know, Sunday before Moses gets back. We're crafting a calf. This seems like it's worthy of my worship. When you know it's like, no, it's not, but this is what has my attention. This is what has my focus. And this is the priority of my time because I'm looking for relief when I need to repent. And so if you look in the Psalms here, you hear King David talking about his obsession. And I know sometimes it kind of like rubs us the wrong way when we hear guys talk about being obsessed with Jesus. But that's just the reality. We are a bride. I don't know how that works out, but we as the body of Christ, we are the bride of the bridegroom who is Jesus. And if you're a female in here, the Bible also calls you a son of God. So just figure that out on your own. But David, he's, he's writing in his journal here. See, he didn't know we were going to be talking about this in 2023. He thought this was just between him and the Lord. And he said, one thing. So everybody say that with me. One thing. Let me ask you a question. Has your life been boiled down to one thing by comparison to every other thing? Like when all of your desires have to get in a line, does Jesus stand at the front of the line? Or is he fifth? Or eighth? Are you preoccupied? By other things, when you read this psalm, Psalm 27, verse 4, this is what the worshipers among us call devotion. This is what the prayer warriors among us call love sickness or passion. This is also what the productive call focus. And it's what the doctors call OCD. What are you talking about David you are so obsessed with God aren't you a king are you not a statesman are you not a politician are you not responsible for hundreds of thousands if not millions upon millions of lives don't you have to make decisions every day that affect the future of an entire nation yeah but I'm focused on one thing I promise you you're not busier than King David <laughs> I'm just, God knows my heart, I'm busy. You're not busier than David was. I promise you that. David said, one thing. Everybody say one thing. You know, I read this book by this man named Gary Keller that was called The One Thing. And in the book, there's a quote, and this kind of summarizes the entire book. So this is like, a, what's that app called, Blinkist? Nobody knows about this but me. Okay. Weird. Um, so there's an app, and it summarizes books for you. It's called Blinkist, I think. Okay, see, I got a witness. Praise God. In the book, this is what the author Gary Keller says. He says, what's the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else will become easier or unnecessary? Isn't that a great question? 
This is a business book, so it helps us with our productivity by asking us to define our focus. What is my one thing? Like, if I chose to do one thing more so than any other thing, what would that one thing need to be that would then cause everything else to all of a sudden either become unnecessary or allow me to be more productive with all those things? Are you with me, church? I think this is a great question for any entrepreneur in the room, but I think it's an even better question for any disciple in the room. Because we live in a culture right now that is so multidirectional, so transient, that although we are Christians, we have become distracted disciples. We can't even pray for like six and a half minutes without getting out our phone. You ever notice that? It's like a tick. It's like you try to stop it, you're like, don't reach for the phone. Look at God. And you're like, and it's like all the same. And then you, like, you ever notice your thumb just goes to the app you look at? It's just like automatic. You were supposed to check an email, but it's like, boom, there's Instagram. Okay, so nobody has these problems other than me. I'm telling on myself. When you hear this question, you know what the answer should be. You're like, oh, I know where my focus should be. But even though we know what it should be, the reality is we do not often enforce the application of it. I know where my focus should be, but I'm distracted. Has your life been reduced to only one thing? By comparison to all others. And this is what David had decided within himself. My focus is going to be on one thing. And it wasn't just David in the Old Testament. It was also this sister named Mary in the New Testament. Because whenever Jesus showed up for lunch at Martha and Mary's house, Jesus spoke to Martha and he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about, which is, actually means focused on. What does he say? Many things. You have anxiety because you are focused on too many things at the same time. When what is needed is, this is what Jesus says. Y'all say it with me, church. One thing. And Mary has chosen that one thing, which Jesus calls the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Meaning, no, Martha, I'm not going to let this hustle culture that you're trying to cultivate in the room I'm in pervasively affect my daughter that has chosen something better than hashtag grind to shine, hashtag no days off. <laughs> Team no sleep. What's up? If we're not careful, that culture will get into our DNA and we will bring it into the secret place and we will no longer see the prayer closet as a place of rest. We will see the prayer closet as a place to be productive. So the only thing that we pray about when that happens are the things that are on our schedules. 
And so prayer is no longer a place of communion. Prayer becomes a place solely of request. And there's no problem with asking, but we got to ask rightly. And if the only time you will pray is when you ask God for stuff, God will bless you by not giving it to you. If your whole relationship with God is based on you asking him for things, he will be so good to you by not giving it to you. If I knew what my wife wanted more than anything else, and it was like a handbag or something like that, but I also knew that when I gave it to her, she would stop talking to me, I would never give her that handbag. Why is that? Because I care more about our ongoing intimacy than I do her temporary blessing. And so if the only time that we pray is to ask God for stuff, God will be like, I'm going to be so good to you by not giving you that thing. Because if I gave it to you, you wouldn't talk to me anymore. And I'm more interested in your development as my disciple than I am your temporary blessing with something you're going to get tired of anyway. So David said, I want one thing. He went on to say, one thing have I asked for. He asked for it. One thing have I asked. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 informs us about asking, which I think is so good. The Bible says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish, get this, infinitely more, infinitely this is, this is how my kids talk to me when I say, how much do you love dad? And they say, infinity times infinity. And you're like, well, ain't no beating that. But God says that to you. Infinite, infinity times infinity, more than you might ask or think. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I got a wild imagination. Anybody else in here? God wants to do more than you could ever think. But not only does God want to do more than you could ever imagine, God says he wants to do more than you could ever ask. So why don't you ask more? Why don't you ask more? You know, a friend of mine, Nate Edwardson, he's a pastor in Redding, California, and it's not Bethel. Hold on, wait. I thought there was only one church in Redding. There, there are a number of churches. Uh, Nate grew up there. He's preached here before. He's an awesome guy. And uh, he has a church like a few miles from Bethel. And there was a season where God was doing all of these supernatural works at Bethel. And Nate was complaining to the Lord in prayer and saying, God, what is up with this? Am I not, I'm your son, come on. Do you like that church so much more than this church? Come on, God, why are you not doing in my ministry what you're doing in their ministry? And he was complaining and going on and on and on. And then God spoke back to him. And he said, you never asked. You never asked. I, I didn't give you point one, but I'll give it to you real quick. Point one, if you're going to live a lifestyle, a continual encounter, it's this. Every day has the same goal. See the face of God. Wake up with an obsession. One thing. 
I, I can't even really start my day until I know that I've heard from God. I, I don't think I can start my to-do list until I've really heard from God. I, you know, I, I have become so busy at times, which is one of the reasons why I take sabbaticals. I, I've become so busy at times that I forget to rest. And one of the things I believe is that revelation flows through the rested. Some of us are so busy, we don't hear from God so well because we're going so fast. And God's like, you need to chill. Come away with me before I make you to lie down, right? So, you know, I, I, I do this. And, but sometimes I look at God as though God is really busy. Anybody else do that? You're like, God's so busy, he doesn't have time for me. God is so busy. I remember, I was, so I was praying one time, and I was like, God, you know, I want to I wanna talk to you, and I need some answers, and, you know, I, I kind of exhausted. And I'm like, and you know what I said to the Lord? But I know you're really busy. You got, like, the whole world to save and stuff. And I'm pretty good. Like, I'm already a Christian, so, like, I'm going to heaven. So if you need to go help somebody else right now, you can do that, I guess. It sounds silly, right? But that's the way I was talking to God, and I was saying, God, I know you're really busy. And, and I was laying down on, on, my, on my floor, and I just felt the presence of Jesus step into that moment and just, you know, kind of kick back next to me. And uh, here's what, by revelation, I felt that God said to me. He handed me a piece of paper. And I was like, yeah, you got to use your divine imagination. Be and, and, and here's what he said to me. Um, there's my to-do list. Just cleared it for you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what? <laughs> all right. And that's not just for me. I'm sharing that because I want you to take it for you. God is not too busy to spend as much time with you as you need to spend with him and how much you want to spend with him. So every day has to have uh, the same goal, which is see the face of God. And point two is this, and this is something Memo taught me. Uh, closed mouth, don't get fed. If you're trying to eat, you need to speak up. While I'm cooking, if you want some cornbread, say something. A closed mouth, don't get fed. We are not guilty of asking God for too much. If we are guilty, we are guilty of asking God for too little. So here's something C.S. Lewis said that I think is interesting in his book, The Way to Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and staggering nature of the rewards of the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is something I've learned about spiritual people. Spiritual people are actually a lot harder to please in a, in a holy way than you might imagine. I know sometimes people look at Nazarites, and they're like, Nazarites are like the tribe, the, the people taking vows before the Lord in the Bible. They, you know, will let their hair grow long. They won't drink wine. They don't eat grapes. There's all these sacrifices that they make. And you may look at a Nazarite, and you say, oh, that person is so boring. 
But the truth is, a Nazarite is actually the ultimate pleasure seeker. Because they realize that there is more satisfaction that happens in this life from the spiritual nature of my communion with God than there ever could be through food or drink or sex or apps or attention or influence or any other expression of entertainment that this world has to offer. People who are spiritual, they're harder to please because they got a bigger appetite. And they're accustomed to eating a diet of something with a bit more potency than a little attention. And, and what, I, what I, I mean, this is just my own observation. Carnal people are a lot easier to please. It's only skin deep. Oh, I'm satisfied with that. That's all good, man. You give me a little money, I'm good. Give me, give me the food I like, I'm good. Give me a little party I enjoy attending, I'm good. No, we got to have more depth to us, disciples. We cannot simply be distracted with short-term entertainment going from here to here to here, self-diagnosing, well, I'm just ADHD. I know a physician. His name is Jesus. He can help you. So what, what, what I want to go to the third point. Are you guys good? Because I don't have much time. So let's go to the third point. If you look at the third point, and you consider what David said by this. I'm going to ask, one thing I'm going to ask, get this, that I will seek. You know, there's a difference between asking and seeking. There's no way I would have ever got my wife if I only asked once. Because Katie would have made sure of that. He'd be like, don't talk to that country kid. He's got a funny accent. And all of her friends, of course. But there was some persistence and pursuit required in order for me to apprehend the prize of my bride. It couldn't just be like, yo, you want to have coffee? I'm, I'm a little busy. She don't like me anyway. And I don't like her. She's stuck up. I can't. Some of y'all singles, y'all need to take this application and just go ahead and apply it to your pursuit of a spouse. Because you can't give up after asking once. You've got to be willing to seek. No, I'm going to knock on the door. This girl don't like me yet, but she just it's because she don't know me yet. She don't think I'm all that yet, but she will. Just give her a few opportunities. Oh, yeah. See, that's something about the desperate. They just don't take no for an answer. Now, you got to do that within reason. Don't think I'm giving you a license to sin, all right? If you being weird, stop. But I, I remember when I was in pursuit of my wife, I was like, I'm going to do something special. You know, because she was at uh, School of Ministry at BSSM, so there's a lot of young people there. And I was like, I'm going to let her know she ain't talking to no boy. It's a man. I, I remember I, I sent her flowers for Valentine's Day, showed up in her apartment when she got home from school. I had a little Valentine's sign for her. I went to the print shop. I got some cards printed with my name embossed in them. I'm like, ain't no boys up there got 
cards with their names embossed. I'm going to let her know. Dealing with a different kind of dude. You, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's something about asking once. It's like, okay, well, they didn't go for it. Don't let that stop you from pressing in and asking God again. There are times in which it's not that God didn't hear you. He just wants to see how audacious will you be in pursuit of the thing that he wants to give you. You guys remember that parable of the friend at night? Whenever the guy goes over to the other house and he knocks on the door and he says, Hey man, I need bread. What does the guy say? I'm not getting up. I'm already in bed. Go away. No, I don't think you heard me quite right. I need bread and I need it now. I can't give it to you now. I'll give it to you tomorrow. But tomorrow ain't going to work. I'm going to wrestle with you right now. And I'm going to keep putting in my petition until you get up and move on my behalf. And what does Jesus say whenever he teaches this parable? I tell you the truth, not because he is a friend will he get up, but because of his audacious persistence will the man get up and supply the need of the request some of us have become so entitled that we believe that God owes us a fresh encounter because we go to church or because we tithe or because we consider ourselves to be Christians but God doesn't owe you a fresh encounter simply because he knows you you've got to come to him in the place of prayer and keep on knocking until that door opens up and that bread that you are hungry for supplies your need and you are well able to do everything you know he's called you to do because he's given you what you need to do it because of your audacious persistence look at your neighbor say seek him listen a real hunger to see God isn't revealed in a single request a hunger to see God shows up in your consistency to seek him I believe that supernatural hunger can be imparted but most often it is stewarded through intentional exposure to him in his presence you can go through a prayer line and somebody can lay hands on you and it can stir you up in that moment. They can even impart a gift. That's what the Apostle Paul said. But most often, more than it is imparted in a moment, it is stewarded through consistency and exposure. I'm coming before you, Lord. And the more you eat in the Spirit, the hungrier you get in the Spirit. It's different than in the natural. Whenever you eat a lot, you get full and you push away the plate. But in the Spirit, whenever you're eating, that appetite just grows and it gets bigger and and you can't have anything else. In fact, all of that stuff that the world is offering you becomes junk food. It only satisfies in the moment. It's like French fries from McDonald's. They taste great when you eat them, but you got a stomach ache half an hour later. Hey man, why did I do that? Anybody else in here? It's like me drinking a milkshake. It was great when it happened. 30 minutes later, I was like, whoop. But you see, that's how Satan works. Because Satan will always minimize sin in the moment of temptation. And here's what he will tell you. It is not a big deal. Go ahead and eat the french fries, man. It ain't no big deal. It's just one. It's just one little fast food run. 
I'm making it an illustration, so please nobody get offended, all right? Um, it's just one little moment, man. You're all right. It's just one thing. Man, you're, you know, I mean, pastor probably goes to drive through too. You know what I'm saying? You're your spiritual fathers, they probably, they hitting McDonald's every now and then too. It's all right, ain't no big deal. See, Satan will always minimize sin in a moment of temptation. But after you've sinned, he will magnify the sin in a moment of accusation. So it's small when you're tempted, but it gets big when you're accused. Could you say, I've done it. I got that tummy ache. Satan's like, yep, gotcha. You are not a hot shot like you thought you were. You thought you were anointed, but you could not resist that drive through You thought you were strong. In fact, you are weak. Matter of fact, you probably shouldn't even go back to church. You probably should hide from all of your Christian friends that will hold you accountable to your anointing. Why don't you go ahead and throw in the towel and give it up? You're terrible. You're the worst. And you're thinking, how did all this start? I thought like having the fries really wasn't a big deal. And now all of a sudden you're rethinking who you are and no longer considering yourself in Christ. Right? That's why Paul said, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Be well versed and keep vigilant. Be aware, knowing that this is what he does to try to trick us into his way and not God's. I don't know if I've given you guys all the instructions on how to live a lifestyle of constant encounter, but if you want, you can always stay for the third service because I'm out of time now. Let's stand. Here's where I think I, I made it to, though. One thing, everybody say one thing. Asking, seeking. So here's what we're going to pray into. If you don't mind, just put your hand on your heart for a moment. And just pray this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, help me reduce my focus to one thing. Now, church, listen, I know you've got to focus on a lot of things. Many of you are parents in here. You've got your kids. I know you work. You've got your career. There's other things that you have to be focused on. But what I mean by us praying this prayer is us considering every other thing paling in comparison to this one one thing so let's pray again say holy spirit help me to focus on one thing now say this say from now on i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask big and i'm gonna wear you out with my asking oh yeah i think he likes that one last thing, say, I, I am a seeker. I will expect to see what I ask for. I got big faith. I pray scary prayers. And the truth is, I'm hell's worst nightmare. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Can we bless the Lord together? Thank you, Jesus. The Legacy Nashville Podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review.
This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.